Good morning, church. Even though it's raining, we can still have energy, right? Right? Wow, all right. Well, it is a pleasure to be here with you. Um, my name is Marv Nelson. You embarrassingly saw all that video of me. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to, to be here. My wife and I are just thrilled. Uh, and last week, let me just say thank you. All of you who cooked food, it was incredible. I couldn't eat enough. I wish I had more room to eat more food. Um, well, if you just pray with me, we're going to jump and dive right into uh, a Revealing Prayers, the title, part one. Because Paul has so much to say that you can't do it all in one sermon on particular sections. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll be looking at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you for us being in this place, being able to worship you freely. I thank you that we have the opportunity to know you, that you desire to know us as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come into this room, that your presence will be here and fill this place, every corner, as we open up your scriptures. May your spirit use my mouth to speak your truth, and may the same spirit use our ears to hear the truth that you have for us. I pray, God, that this won't just be a time of learning something for our mind's sake, but, Father, that it'll be for our life's sake that we will take this and, and add it to our lives and be transformed and become someone new. Because every time we come to the word, we can be transformed. And so we pray for that in your name. Amen. Amen. We are in week four of our series in the book of Ephesians. And if you remember week one, we talked about three things in order for us to, to move into the idea of gospel truth leads to gospel living. And those three things were the right position that you and I are positioned under Christ. The next thing was that we have the right identity. And then the final thing was that we have the right view of our gifts. And those three things I said were going to be continuously laced throughout this scripture, the book of Ephesians. And we'll see some of those pop up again today. But I wanted to refresh our mind, right position, right identity, and right view of our gifts. Let me tell you a story about a time that I went to uh, Paris on a missions trip. Now, immediately when you say, I went to Paris on a missions trip, there's all kinds of judgment, right, from people that hear, oh yeah, okay, you went to, on a missions trip to Paris, okay? But really, I did, and it was, it was a powerful time of building relationship with people who did not know Jesus and helping a ministry to continuously develop their connection to the people there as well. But while I was there, uh, I was leading this trip, and we had to go from one place to another. And in Paris, you don't really drive anywhere. You walk, and you take the train. And that was something I was like, okay, well, that's totally fine. I've lived in this city. I know where I'm going. All cities are the same, right? It's all the same deal. Even though I don't speak French, I can find my way from this place to the next. I don't need anyone to help me. I'll lead my team there, right? You can probably already see the problem. So I told my students, I said, all right, we're going to walk. I have a map. We can figure it out. I even have an app on my phone that helps me translate. So if we get lost, I can just ask my app to ask the person a question. Well, we do pretty well. 
We get to where we're supposed to be, but we get off on the wrong train at the wrong space. And so when we pop up, we, I think we're one place, but we're in a completely different place. And so I keep walking us around pretending like I know what I'm doing, right men? We pretend sometimes that we know where we're going. And finally I said, okay, I have to ask someone a question. So I pull out my app and I see this nice little lady over here and I begin to try to ask a question. And she's totally confused by my app and my questions. I'm not speaking very good French. I'm used to speaking Spanish. And if you look at French, French words, when you're used to speaking Spanish, it sounds completely different. And so I'm asking all these questions and she's looking at me funny. And so I finally pull out the map and I point and she looks at it and I must've said something that made sense to her. And she says that way, right? She didn't even use English. She just pointed, right? And I said, all right, we're on the right path. Here we go. Well, Five minutes later, recognize we are not on the right path. I had asked the wrong question. I did not ask a right question. I had no idea where I was. Eventually, we found our way. Thank the Lord. He was guiding our path as he often does. But I asked the wrong question. And I share that story because I think as we, as we look at prayer, sometimes we ask the wrong question. When we're praying to the Lord, sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. Sometimes we're praying the wrong prayers or we get stuck in a rut where we say, okay, here's what I'm always going to pray for. Here's what's always going to happen. We never look at the scripture and say, okay, how does the Bible tell us to pray? Jesus gave us a regimen of prayer, but there's also different prayers that Paul and other apostles and disciples prayed throughout the scripture, prayed over the people of God that I think we can attach to our lives and pray as well. And so the question I want us to ask today is how should believers pray for themselves and for one another? Now, this isn't an exhaustive list because we're going to do part two next week. But there's also several different prayers, and we'll get to it in Ephesians 3, another prayer that Paul randomly writes. He's writing, 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 and then he prays again. It's pretty significant how often he does that. But I believe that there are some nuggets of prayer that you and I can attach to our lives from this passage. Paul, he loved to pray. He loved to pray over himself and over the people. He thanks God for them and then begins to pray. And that is the same thing that we will see today. I know in my life that I, I can tend to read the same prayers and, and pray the same prayers. And I think that we too can tend to get stuck praying for what we want rather than praying for what we need. And so we get stuck in these rote prayers or these ideas of what I need to pray and these thoughts that I need to pray and this list that I need to pray. And sometimes it's all about us, what we want or what we want for someone else or what we want for ourselves, but we might not be connecting to a prayer and praying that for what we need. And here we can see Paul talk about prayers that we need. So we're going to open up uh, and read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 19. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. And if you have your, your Bibles and you want to open there, I'll give you uh, a moment to do that. And, and also, I always have to let you know I'm reading from the ESV. I know in the, in the seatbacks we have the NIV, so it might look a little bit different. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19 says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Here, Paul thanks God for the people, for their faith and love. And we're going to dig into the Ephesians faith and love later. And I want to focus on the prayer because he immediately begins in the prayer. And the first thing that I think you and I can attach to our lives that Paul is saying about prayer in this particular passage is that in prayer, we should seek God's face and not his hands. We should seek God's face and not his hands. You see, Paul, he wrote this, the word knowledge, the idea of knowledge. I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and in revelation and the knowledge of him. That root word knowledge is, is the Greek word gnosko, which we th I think we've talked about before, meaning an intimate knowledge of. And he's saying when you pray, the focus should be on the giver, not on the gifts. When we pray, we should be seeking God's face the way that Moses did when he spent time with God face to face. And we see in the book of Exodus, Joshua was so passionate about the face of God and intimacy with God that he would not leave the tent. Even after Moses did, he desired to stay to know more of God. You see, this idea of us knowing God is all throughout the scriptures. We can see it continuously over and over and over again. And so here Paul is highlighting before he even gives any other prayer request. He says, my prayer is that you will know God intimately. Know God intimately. What we need is to know God more intimately. Now, it's not bad when we come with our list of prayers. God puts passionate prayers upon our hearts that we pray for people and we pray for people to come to know Jesus and we pray for ourselves. And there are things that, that we will consistently come to pray for. But if we focus on the gifts and the things that we want and we miss the giver, we're missing the point of prayer. Prayer is to know God. And here he highlights that. He gives us this idea of a sp the spirit of the living God is who gives us wisdom and insight. He's the one who allows us to know who God is. If you were to look at John 13, 20, you'll see that Jesus says, when the one who I'm sending comes, you will know me. And if you know me, you will know the father who sent me. And so we, he asks for the Spirit to fill us with the knowledge of who God is. We highlighted the passionate pursuit of the Holy Spirit last week for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And part of his job in our life is to make God known intimately. The rest of Paul's prayer this week and next week is based off of this one idea. In prayer, we must seek his face, not his hands. And we'll see that over and over and over again. Warren Wiersbe, as I was looking through this, this passage, he, he said this very poignant statement. He said, since we are made in his image, the better we know God, the better we know ourselves and each other. It is not enough to know God only as Savior. We must get to know him as Father, Friend, Guide. And the better we know him, the more satisfying our spiritual lives will be the more satisfying our spiritual lives will be. I've talked with many Christians who find themselves in a spiritual rut. 
They find themselves in a rut with their relationship with God, and it's kind of the same old, same old. And they say, well, I've been praying, I've been, I've been doing this, I've been doing that. And I ask the question, have you been seeking to know more of God, or have you been content with the amount of God that you know? And sometimes I get a really inquisitive look. What does that even mean? Well, we can consistently pursue more of God. We can consistently find out more of God. God is a vast ocean that we can consistently pursue. And Paul is saying, Ephesians, no matter how much you think you know God, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will give you more knowledge, more intimate knowledge of who God is. And he begins his prayer that way. Our spiritual lives are better when we pursue after God. And that statement by Warren Wiersbe is true because we are in the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. The more we know God, the more we know ourselves. When we can look at ourselves and say, why do I do that? The Holy Spirit will bring it to fruition to understand what it is that we're to do, who it is that we've been trying to be, and where we need to go. And he will also give us more passion for one another. The more we know God, the more we love God, the more we're going to love one another. And so if there's this sense in your life where you're bitter and angry against yourself or others, maybe you just need to spend some time on your knees and get to know God a little bit more to see his heart for that person, to see his heart for yourself. Paul prays a passionate prayer for the Ephesians to know God more. And I think many times when we come to prayer, it's, it's one or the other. It's all about God or it's all about us, but it's all about us together. It's relationship. It's about us together. And I want to share with you a, a beautiful story that A.B. Simpson shared. And, and I know the last three or four weeks I've been quoting A.W. Tozer and A.B. Simpson a lot. And that's because I love the heritage of the CMA. Some of you probably grew up in the CMA. And so you know the heritage of the CMA. The passion that happened in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. Where God was moving our denomination into passionate missions. Where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were doing amazing, incredible things. I long for those days for our denomination to come back. Not so it can be like the good old days, but so the Holy Spirit can have his way. And I believe that one of the things that A.B. Simpson was very familiar with was the passion to know more of God. He gives this beautiful illustration. He says, imagine yourself as a bottle floating in the ocean. Now imagine yourself as the bottle filled to overflowing with the water that's in the ocean. Now, you're full of God. You're filled with God. But he said, you're in an ocean. You can ask the Lord to expand the receptacle of the water. You can ask the Holy Spirit to instead be a bottle, to be a bathtub. How much more water can a bathtub inhabit than, than, than a bottle? And so he said, you can consistently ask God to grow your receptacle, to expand your knowledge, to expand your capacity for more and more of God. And he said, finally, imagine yourself as an ocean liner. How much God could you have? And he said, but still, you're in an ocean and there's more of God to know. I think sometimes when we, when we come to our faith, we might be content with the amount of God that we know. 
We might say, oh, I've I've been a Christian for X amount of years. What else could I learn? How much more could I know? I've read the Bible over and over and over and over again. How much more of God could I know? But let me tell you, my friends, there is so much more of God to know. And I love that passionate pursuit of the, the early fathers of our denomination saying, we will never be content with our knowledge of God. We want to know him more. We want to experience the Bible. We want to see our lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can go forth and change the world. I mean, A.B. Simpson believed with the Holy Spirit's passion, he could bring the word of the, of the gospel to the entire world. He was so passionate about it, he wanted to see Christ come now. So he's like, let's start a missions organization. Let's go everywhere so that Jesus can just come. He was so passionate about God being made known as well. Sorry, I get a little, I get a little bit excited. We talk about God being known. God wants to be known by us. There is so much more of God to know. And kind of following up behind that, in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer, he said, When we say that God is infinite, we mean he knows no bounds. Whatever God is and all that God is, he is without limit, which means he is a vast ocean for us to know. Are we knowing God in our prayer? Are we asking God, let me know you more? And if we're not, I pray that we will. Paul is saying in prayer, pursue the knowledge of God. Pursue who he is. And may the Spirit enlighten your mind to who he is. The next thing that we can see at the end of verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The next thing in prayer that we can add is that in prayer we should ask for constant conviction of our call. Constant conviction of our call. And what he's saying here, and he'll talk a little bit about it in verse 4, the calling that we've received to believe in Jesus Christ and to be people who are ignited with the Holy Spirit, to go into the world, to be Christ to the world. He's saying there's hope in that. There's hope in the call that God has given us. Let's pray for the conviction of that hope. Let's pray for constant conviction of our call that God has called us to himself and that we are people set apart. He's saying, my prayer is that you will consistently see that. Because in our world, in our culture today, being a Christian and being called a Christian and moving forward in the gospel of Jesus is not always looked upon favorably. And it wasn't favorable during Paul's time either. If you remember the story that we read in Acts 19, what the believers in Ephesus were surrounded around, it was a crazy culture that was going on around them. Maybe even more demonic than ours now, which many of you might say that's impossible, but it was possible if you see what was going on in the city of Ephesus. And he said, I pray that you will stand firm in the hope of your call. When we pray, are we asking God to give us hope in our call, constant conviction of our call? Here, Paul challenges us to do that in prayer, to know God and then be convinced of our call to go forward into the world. You see, I love that sign in the back of our sanctuary where it says, you are now entering your mission field. The hope of our call is to bring people to Jesus. And I I love the CMA's passion to reach to reach the lost in the ends of the earth. But I fear that sometimes in our denomination and in our movement, we have forgotten about Judea and Samaria. 
Judea and Samaria are our responsibility here. We are called, each and every one of us is called into missions. This is the missiology of the gospel, is that we are all missionaries. Not all international missionaries, but we are all, we are called to that mission. And here's the, the great idea of how Paul wraps all of these things together. Because when we ask for the constant conviction of our call, we have to know who it is that's calling us. And so knowledge of God brings revelation of his will. The more we know God, the more we have a revelation of his will, a revelation of his call on our life. And now, I, I believe that Paul was not just talking about the call of salvation and the call of missions, but also the call that we have individually that the Holy Spirit is leading us down. Each and every one of us has a call on our life, both as the scripture's call, but also a personal call. And he's saying, I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you and that he will reveal it to you through your knowledge of God and that you will be convinced and convicted with hope in the call that he's given you. I love being a pastor, but I need constant conviction of my call, of hope in it. Because sometimes as I look around the world, it gets a little bit hopeless, but we need the hope of the gospel. We need the hope of the Holy Spirit. We need the knowledge of God to push us forward because we know, when we know him, we can know that we're in good hands. That the call that he has put upon our life is real and powerful and we can be passionate people about it because we know him. Because we know him. Just as an example of this, I remember reading about a medical study. And, uh, you know, Dr. Mark can tell me I'm wrong on this or right, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about it. But I remember reading about a study and hearing about a study where they had two hearts that were beating at separate beats. And they pulled them out. I don't know if it was out of a human or out of a whatever it was. These two hearts were beating at separate beats. But when they touched, the electricity between them caused them to beat at the same tone. So one, they were going like this, and then they touched, and then they began to beat together. I believe the same is true for our spiritual life with the Father. That when you and I allow our heart to touch the heart of God, when we say, God, who are you? What is your will? What is it you're calling me to? And we say, here is my heart. Let it connect to your heart. We begin to have the same beat tone as the Father. That we begin to be in rhythm with God. But if you and I are not asking to know God, if we're not pursuing more of him, we're going to begin to detach our heart and beat at a different beat again. That's why constantly we see Jesus getting alone to pray as an example. We see Moses constantly going into the tent of meeting and he was there a long time. So he was there so long sometimes that the people were, they would be waiting outside their tent for Moses and they would just be standing there. They'd eventually have to sit and some of them would fall asleep because they're waiting so long for Moses to come out of the tent of meeting. Are we pursuing God's face that way? Am I? Not all the time, and I want to. I pray that we will see the scripture and, and really pray for ourselves the same prayer that Paul is praying. I hope that we begin to see things as he does so that we can be convinced and convicted of our calling that we have on our lives. That when we interact with people, our heart will beat with the love that the Father's heart beats for those people. 
at the heartbeat of God to see the world transformed by the gospel that will begin to have that heartbeat as well. That our eyes will see people the way that the Father sees people and that we'll begin to see ourselves the way that we are into his eyes as well. Which leads me to the next point. That in prayer, we should ask to see ourselves as he sees us. When our heart is connected to him through knowledge of who he is, we will know our call, we'll be convinced of it, but we'll also begin to see ourselves aright the way he sees us. Remember the idea of identity. This is going to come up over and over and over again to the church in Ephesus because there was a lot of Gentiles who were doubting, am I good enough? Can I really be with my history and my past? Can I really be adopted and loved by the Father? And so Paul consistently reminds them, and he says something that hit me in the heart about this, this part of the prayer that we should seek to ask our, to see ourselves as he sees us. He says this at the, the end of verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? In the saints. What he's saying is that the beneficiaries are the inheritance of the benefactor. Remember, we talked about the goodness of the benefactor to us as beneficiaries receiving the inheritance that God has called us to from the earlier scriptures. But here he's saying that the inheritance of himself is you, is me. Not only am I an adopted son in the kingdom of God, but he says, I love you so much that you are my inheritance. You're everything. That's pretty crazy. And as I saw that, I, my mind was blown that I could be his inheritance. And I hope that your mind is blown by that reality of our identity. Because it is just so massive and so big. Because the enemy's ploy consistently in our life is to destroy our identity. The enemy wants to attack two things constantly. He's dumb. He does the same stuff all the time. Here it is. He wants to attack our image of God and he wants to attack our image of ourselves. If he can get one or both of those things, he wins. Because if we can see ourselves as worthless when God is calling us worthy, we will never be convinced and convicted that we can really know who God is. We won't feel like we're good enough to know him. That he's some superstar like Ben Roethlisberger that we could never honestly and honorably shake his hand. There's just this sense of aura around him that we could never get close. But here the scriptures are saying that we can. That we are his inheritance. That we have the ability to go into the inner sanctum where the veil has been torn because Christ died and was raised again. So we can be with God. We can know God intimately and deeply. And so we must also see ourselves correct as God calls us. He's giving us consistently through the scriptures our identity because the enemy wants to attack our image of him and our image of ourselves. So we should ask to see him aright and see ourselves aright in prayer as well. Like I said before, too often, especially when it comes to prayer, we either think it's about ourselves or about him alone. That it's not about us together. But Paul is saying in this, and I'm saying to us as well, that prayer is the conduit for relationship with the Lord. 
Prayer is the conduit for relationship with the Lord. When it comes to prayer, there's so many different things that we can get confused and boggled by. And we try to add all these different things or we read you know, books on prayer or we try to go to conferences on prayer. But prayer is an invitation to relationship with him. You know, as, as a father, if my kid consistently came up to me and all he ever wanted to do was say, hey, can I have a car? Hey, can I have a toy? Hey, can I have this? Can you fix that for me? Can you, can you make this better? I'm like, dude, can we just hang out? Can we just play football? If that's all he ever did was to interact with me, was to ask me questions or to do this, there's something missing in our relationship. And we do the same in prayer. I know I'm guilty of it. But the idea of prayer is a conduit of relationship. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the Ephesians. I'm praying for you to have a more intimate connection with God. Again, asking God and receiving the inheritance he has for us is not a bad thing. But if that's all that we do, we're missing the fullness of what prayer is. And so I, like Paul, pray for myself and us that we can see prayer as a conduit of relationship where we open up our hearts and we hear what he is saying to us because God speaks to his children. The Holy Spirit is still speaking today. He is still speaking and he wants to speak to you, his child, to, to, about the realities of who he is and the realities of who you are because our souls are hungry for the truth of our identity and our souls are hungry for the truth of his identity. When we come to prayer, are we actively pursuing and asking God to fill us with that hunger to know who he is and to know who we are? And finally, as Paul ends this prayer, this section of the prayer, because we're going to go into part number two next week, is that he, he reminds us that in prayer, we are to remember the power of the one to whom we pray. Remember the power of the one to whom we pray. He says it three different ways in this passage. He says, and what is the, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his might? Power, working, and might are all three different words for power. He's like, if you didn't get it the first time I said it, maybe you'll get it the second time. And maybe I'll just have to say it a third time so you understand that God is all-powerful. Connect to it. Understand it. That we don't pray to a weak God. We don't pray to a false God. We don't pray to an impotent God. We pray to a powerful, real, honest God who can do anything he wants to do and he doesn't need our approval. He is who he is. He is all power. He is all might. He is all greatness. And that is the God we serve. That is the God that we pray to. So when we pray, we can pray with confidence and conviction that we know he will answer our prayers because he wants to. And so we pray in faith for the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And we look at this and we say, he is who he says he is because he is. And he has all power and he has all might and he can do anything. And he said, I just want to remind you of the power of God. And the, for the word that he uses for power is dunamos in Greek, which is where we get our word dynamite. He's like, God is so powerful, he just explodes in power and in might. And, you know, there's that sense of, okay, well, if he's so powerful, he's like a powder keg, like a dynamite. I can't go near him. He's like, no, no, no. The power is on your behalf. It's not to explode you. It's to give you the power in the world to do what he's called you to do. 
You see, the power is our inheritance, as we talked about, through the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, but always remember, always be convinced and convicted of the power of the person to whom you pray. He was, he was kind of alluding to the powerless gods of their day, Demeter, Artemis, uh, all of those different gods that are there in the Greek pantheology. He's saying, look, those gods were weak. They have nothing, but God has everything. I fear that when we neglect to remember his power, we can begin to forget his deity. We can begin to slip into this idea that he's some elusive God that's not really actually a powerful God. And there was this one, this one book by a guy named uh, Craig Rochelle. He said, uh, he called it the, the Christian Atheist. And it's this idea that we can call ourselves a Christian, but if we don't believe in the power of God, if we don't really believe that he is a person who loves us, we're actually living an atheistic lifestyle with a Christian title. So we should be people who firmly believe in the power of God, who believe in the power of his word, who believe in the power of his gospel. And when we understand those things, the life that we can live is a life that is filled with power. But let me just bring it back full circle as we end. It all begins with knowing God. It all begins as Paul began this prayer that we would have the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so I want to bring us back to a hymn that, uh, that's on my phone actually. That A.B. Simpson wrote after he was convinced of this truth as well. And it's the, the hymn called Himself. Anybody remember the hymn Himself? And it's powerful. Because the heritage of his life, he recognized that the most important thing is knowing God. That this verse transformed our understanding of who we are and who God is. He says this, in, in, and as I'm saying it, you'll probably remember, and I'm not going to sing it because you'll die. <laughs> Your ears will be bleeding. But he says this, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, only Christ I'll sing. Everything is in Christ, and Christ is everything. Once t'was painful trying, now tis perfect trust. Once a half salvation, woo, now the uttermost. Once t'was ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once t'was constant drifting, now my anchor is cast. Once t'was busy planning, now tis trustful prayer. Once t'was anxious caring, now he has the care. Once t'was what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once t'was constant asking, now it's ceaseless praise. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. Once I hoped in Jesus, now I know he's mine. Once my lamps were dying, now they brightly shine. Once for death I waited, now his coming hail. And my hopes are anchored safe within 
the veil. He caught it. What Paul was praying for. Praying for the knowledge of himself. And he recognized that the gifts will follow the giver. But it's not about the gifts. It's about the giver. May we have that same passionate desire. For himself alone. And the inheritance that we've been talking about. Will come about in our life. Not because we're seeking after it. But because we're seeking after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you want to be with us. I thank you that you want to reveal yourself to us. And I thank you that there's no way we could ever understand the totality of who you are. But Father, you give yourself to us and I greatly thank you for it. I pray in the name of Jesus that we, myself, all of us in this room who know Jesus and maybe don't even know Jesus, that our passion will be to know you and that we can be transformed by the knowledge of who you are so that we can be convinced of our call, so that we can move forward and understand that you are all-powerful and that anything and anybody has nothing on you. May we see you for who you are and know you more. Finally, Lord, I pray that you'll expand our receptacle to receive more and more of you, that we will have a holy discontent that pushes us to know you more. In your name, amen.